real secret to success at Stockholm was leveraging that team and getting the message clear and able to be understood by people. How do you find the courage to try? Can you distill the clarity to start? What drives real commitment to keep going? Let's deconstruct complexity and make it simple. Let's learn how to take action and make progress. I'm Pete Seligman, and this is The Next Step. Hi, my name is Pete Seligman. This is The Next Step Podcast, and I'm amazingly excited to have the wonderful Amanda Steele here to talk to us about a whole range of things, really. And I've tried to get in my mind a bit of an agenda of topics that we've discussed beforehand, but I won't apologise in advance if we happen to go off track onto all sorts of things. I should apologise in advance that I will make you go off track. Right, there you go, there you go. Excellent, fantastic. So I don't think I will go kind of down the bio route because yep. people can stalk you, right? Totally. And there's, I hope so. Yeah, they will. Good. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump into, you know, you and I, I about 10 years ago, I think, it was almost 10 years yeah, ago that we met when 10. I started at Stockland yeah. and um, and it was a really exciting time, I think, for that business mm-hmm. and I had a great time in all sorts of roles that mm-hmm. I did there and particularly working on a bunch of projects with you. Yeah. And at the time, you were spending a lot of time really trying to drive sustainability yes. initiatives into the property sector. Yes. But back then, and potentially even before that, it wasn't sexy like no. it is now. If you went to someone and said, if you're a property company, you need sustainability initiatives. Yep. Today, yep. they're like, well, of course, it's business. Yes. Right? But back then, it wasn't. No. So where I wanted to start was with the context of kind of my view on how do you actually take steps forward and how do you make progress in small chunks. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about what it was like trying to actually push the sustainability barrow in a market that yeah. wasn't yet quite there? Yeah, I mean, Pete, you know, it was really hard graft. Mm. Uh, continually from day dot in the property sector there were people who really wanted to see the agenda progress Mm. and then there were a lot of people who just thought it was a total waste of time and a distraction from making money Mm. and I guess that's the real key is finding out what people's drivers are and being able to shape the conversation around what those drivers are so for sustainability it's actually quite easy when you're able to articulate this is going to save you money yeah this is actually going to save you money or if you're talking to the head of risk and compliance you're going to minimise your risk on these assets with a climate change strategy. Here's why. Mm. So it's hard graft. You need to be really flexible in how you talk and you need to make some small wins quickly and communicate the hell out of those small yeah. wins. Yeah, yeah, Here's this tiny <laughs> bit of progress we made, but we're going to amplify it yeah. massively. Yeah. And, and make that everyone else's project. They own it. Yeah. That success is everyone except mine. Yeah. So when the CFO feels like he owns a solar installation, fantastic. Yeah. Even though he didn't want the solar installation in the first place. and fought hard against it. Yes, that's true. Actually, like one of the things that you did really well in that Stockland context was getting to a point where the the frontline business did actually own that yep. stuff, right? Yeah, they did. But you needed to get to a point where I mean, there are a bunch of people from your team mm. in that time yes that have now moved on to some pretty impressive roles, <laughs> roles yeah. in the sustainability sector yeah, quick really... shout out to Davina Rooney there, yeah. right, as an example right yeah. so so I imagine that there would have been a point before you get that kind of capability on board like do you know what I mean like in order to have the conversations with the CFO and yeah. get that up yeah you need to have people around you that have the capability to translate some sustainability into finance, into business, into all that sort of stuff. And to get to that point, yeah. you need to have a message that's strong enough to attract those 
people to yeah, that point. So did. how did you build a team that was had that capability? I've only ever been successful because of the team around me. We're yeah. all clear on that. That's great leadership, getting yeah. smarter people to work for you. Yeah. I was lucky enough to inherit a great team. So Davina was there when I started. I think some of the challenge with sustainability is it can be really complex. Mm. And the people who are working in that space are really smart and talk in really smart language that's difficult for the lay person to understand. Mm. And so the real secret to success at Stockholm was leveraging that team and getting the message clear and able to be understood by people. So that translation role. Totally. Massive. And I'd come from finance where, again, I'd been pushing that rock up the hill around sustainability. And that was a great training ground for me around clarity of message Mm. and having a story to tell around it rather than don't just give me all the metrics, don't give me all the science, just give me a narrative that I can understand and that I can go home and tell people about or I can tell my colleagues about. So they own the story rather than it being a very complicated uh, sustainability hair shirt. You've got to do it because it's the right thing to do. No one ever wants to do anything because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's funny because as an engineer, I know that whenever I solve a big complex problem, Mm. I love to tell everyone how complex it was. (laughs) Whereas actually the benefit is to tell them how simple the solution is as opposed to how complex the problem was to solve. Yeah. So I imagine a lot of your discussions would have been how do I translate that into that into the audience yes. but at the same time keep the team motivated yeah. around the complexity of the issues that they're trying to solve and i guess the joy of sustainability was that long-term focus mm. and so people engineers and sustainability workers love that long-term focus but it can lead to really complicated business structures and planning and so taking it back to the simplicity like how we communicate but what are we doing why are we doing it what are we doing why are we doing mm. it? over and over and over again until you just get that nugget of what you're trying to deliver and a great example is Shell Harbour, like a big yeah. shopping centre, and we were putting on the largest at the time, largest solar installation, and people just were so delighted to tell me how it was impossible. That's never going to happen. Yeah. You know, I'd walk out of meetings, you need to give this up, that's never going to happen. Including people in sustainability, that's never going to happen. We're not going to get that through. Yeah. But when we landed on the fact that it was going to be the largest solar installation, so, that was when well, people were like, oh, this is great. Yeah. This is going to be the largest solar installation in Australia. And people got excited about that. So that was the key message there. Yeah, okay. yeah. So is there a bit of trial and error in that? Like, yeah. I'll try this key message, see if it lands. I'll try this key message, see if it lands. Like, Because obviously there's a lot of angles and paths you could take. Yes. And it's about then testing that with the audience. And yep. like you say, if it was the largest bit that landed, then let's... Yeah continue to play on that yeah definitely and it depends on the audience so when we're selling it to the board absolutely around the numbers and the payback Mm. but also a legacy piece a board loves a legacy piece if the numbers stack whereas when you're selling it to your people who are delivering it on the ground yeah it's going to be the largest solar installation you're going to be able to tell your kids that you've just put the largest solar installation in australia on the roof of the shopping center now i know it's always challenging to name names yes so if you can't name names that's (laughs) oh i'll name but who was who was your (laughs) biggest success in converting them like have you got a real kind of and the fact that yeah. they converted means that you can probably name them. Yes. But, but, you know, someone that like at the yeah. beginning was like, nah, this yep. sustainability thing's all across. Waste of time. And then at the end, they became like your 
biggest supporter. Yeah. Like, yeah. Have you got any examples of yeah. that? So things? I used to work at Insurance Australia Group, which mm. was a fantastic organisation. I really loved it. I was blessed to work with Sam Austin there, who is a corporate leader that unsurpassable as far as her skill. We had a CFO who just loved to tell me about his V8 ute that he drove and he loved to tell me about how much coal he was consuming in his house. <laughs> he was just so anti-sustainability, like vocally anti-sustainability. And I chipped away at, you know, this is the kind of payback we're getting, this is the kind of yield we're going to get from it. And he would kind of get it when I'd talk money, he was more interested, but just like to antagonise me around it. And so um, we had a lunch, it was a property council lunch, but I sat him next to the head of the Nature Conservation Council, oh, good. who I knew was very smart, Kate Fairman, who's now in politics, a very smart, very compelling, influential woman. And he said, this whole sustainability thing's a piece of crap. <laughs> and uh, Kate was really calm about it and just had the conversation and it's like, yeah, it is crap. Let's talk about why it's crap. Yeah. And so I used her as a real leverage tool for me. And he kind of got it because he was speaking to a sustainability green person yeah. who was agreeing with him around how you needed to make sure it was going to make money and how you need to make sure it would impact shareholders in a positive way. By the time we walked back to the office, George was saying to me, we need to get some solar on the roof of our building. <laughs> Maybe awesome. a wind turbine. Yeah. And I've ordered a Tesla, <laughs> right. like years in advance. That's right. He yeah. really, it took a long time of just yeah. concerted effort. But I think that's the trick with sustainability and probably why it set me up well for leadership is it teaches you resilience like mm. nothing else. Mm. You're just continually told no. Mm. And you just continually have to fight for yes. The thing I love about that story is quite often I say to people, and literally just before we came in, I was speaking to someone about it, how when you're looking for ways to change minds, mm. quite often you'll need multiple voices. Like yes. it, it can't always be you that's Absolutely. constantly banging away at that. Yeah. So the story there around, okay, how am I going to really <laughs> get this person... I don't need to, it wasn't you about you trying to win the argument. No. It was you actually trying to help them understand. So yeah. you help them by putting them next to someone that yeah. you think would really going to be able to get them on the journey. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that's really telling because so often, regardless of how big or small the issue is, like when you need to change minds, you actually do need a bit of a chorus. Multiple around. voices. Yeah. That's absolutely true and really true in leadership. And so in the position I'm in now, you know, when I first started in this role four, four five years ago now. And can you just do oh, like yes. two seconds yes. on that? Yep. Because this is a really good segue into okay. that. So, so what I, happened and how did you get to, so I, to here? So I started at CBRA in sustainability and was very clear that I didn't want to be working in sustainability forever. Mm. And two years into that role, they offered me uh, the head of property management. So I went from direct reports of five to running a business of... At the time, 550 people, and in four years, we doubled the profitability of that business, and we're now, I manage a team of 680, which is phenomenal. So Easy. from five to 680 is That's terrific. a lot of one-on-ones every month. That's then. a lot of one-on-ones. <laughs> uh, they're a beautiful team. But I think key for me in that was, I, at the time, I was the only woman on the executive, mm -hmm. and the industry that I'm in now, in that part of property, very male-dominated for a really long time, which is not unusual. I'm, I'm often the only woman in the room. But it was really clear to me that I needed to have multiple voices around me because of that old school male property. I don't play rugby. I know that's a surprise. Uh, I can drink okay. beer, <laughs> You're right. but I'm not good on the sporting analogies. <laughs> yeah. So I have you know, an absolute genius who's my right-hand man in the operations side, Peter. Another oh. Peter. You know, he that's must, why he's good. must be a master. Genius. Yeah. And Pete is often there beside me because... They talk to me about property. They looking at me, going, "I don't really understand what she's doing here. I'm just going to talk to this, <laughs> yeah, operations guy that has yeah. a beard and probably knows about rugby." Yeah. 
So the two of us together are a good pair because I will talk creative and innovation and he can put, bring it straight back to the pragmatics. And that's the importance of knowing which voice to have in the room at the yeah. right time. Yeah, and playing that to your audience every time. Definitely. And and I think a lot of people sometimes worry about the <laughs> fact that they might be being manipulative by bringing other voices in. Yeah. But actually it's not manipulation in a negative sense. It's actually you're honestly trying to help yes. the person on the other side of the conversation get the best outcome. Yeah, I see and you're just it saying is. it might not be me. Yeah, I see it as manners. Yeah. You know, if you're not going to get me, I totally understand that. Not yeah. everyone loves me, fools. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I need to have people in the room who can relate to them, most yeah. definitely. And sometimes that's my head of client solutions because she's jazz hands and mm. she's fantastic and she's full of passionate energy. And sometimes it's Pete who's quiet and solid and really smart and pragmatic. Yeah. So you've just got to have that balance and be clear on who your audience is and, and deliver that for their benefit, most mm. definitely. So that must have been a bit of a almost baptism of fire, right? Moving yeah. to that many people. Yeah. How yeah. do you get your head around? I mean, I think a lot of people struggle when they go from having two people reporting to them to having 10 people reporting yeah. to them, right? Like, yeah. how, how, do you, how do you practically manage that? Like, yeah. how do you get to a point where you can... How do you get that leverage? Yeah. I mean, it's a leverage question, right? Like, yeah, how, do you, how, do you, how do you do that? Communication is key yeah. and a variety of communication. So I'm not going to be able to go out and see all those mm. 500 people. That's just not physically possible. And a newsletter is not going to be read by everyone and an email is not going to be read by everyone. So we did lots and lots of different communication styles, multiple channels, as often as I possibly could, particularly in those early days, meeting after meeting after meeting. And then leverage is the team. Mm. Uh, you're not the island. You're not going to solve it yourself. You've got a broader team who are your foot soldiers. Mm. If they've got the right communication and they're sharing that message, that's really important. But it was hard. Mm. I think the big shift for me, and it was a real surprise in leadership, was just how much more work there was. Mm. So my phone went down three days in, or I think it was three weeks in, and when it came back up, I realized that every day I was getting about 350 emails. Yeah. I was getting about 40 text messages. I was getting about 60 phone calls. Wow. It's just not feasible. It doesn't work. <laughs> There's not that much time. The numbers don't stack, yeah, yeah. And so being able to be clear on who I could delegate to, how I could clear those messages. I mean, right now, there wouldn't be more than 10 unopened emails in life. Like, yeah. I'm really speedy with it now. I think that's really interesting to yeah. hear because I think a lot of people... Like there's always that kind of, there's a bit of pride in how big your inbox is sometimes. No. Yeah, exactly. That's horror. Right? That's horror. horror. Right? But, but equally, like there's a lot of people that just think like it's a reality. Mm. Like I can't avoid it. Yeah. I've got 20 people in my team. Yeah. I'm just going to have heaps of emails. Yeah. But to hear you kind of say, I've f tried to find mechanisms and delegation and ways to get to a point yes. where I've got almost 700 people out there yeah. and I can get down to 10 unread. Yeah. It means that there is a way. It's Absolutely. just a matter of finding that mechanism. Yeah. What media like channels, like what approaches did you take? Like what were some examples of, and even if it was just in the first three months, like how did you get to a point where as many people across that network. Yeah. In the first three months, it was very much town halls and face-to-face -face yep. meetings. And that's really important. So people know what you look like. They know how you talk. Mm. They can respond to you directly face-to-face. -face. And in those first three months, I was really conscious of having clear messages up front. And I just repeated them and Again. repeated them and repeated yeah. them. Yeah. So that it was a consistent message. And then on emails and newsletters, I did the same thing. You mm. just repeat until you, you're sounding boring to yourself. Mm. But also it was really important for me to have a very open and natural style of communication. So I remember um, someone you know, but I'm not going to name names, who mm -hmm. said you need to own being an executive. Go in that room and pretend you're an executive. Yeah. 
and it doesn't resonate with me, yeah. I think you need to go in that room and own being Amanda Steele. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just not genuine. Yeah. And I was really conscious that I would be funny because I'm hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and I would go in and just be myself that I would tell stories about my family because they're important to me, yeah. that I'd relate to my own personal experiences and not just make it about business lingo and jargon. Yeah. So right from the start, that was the communication style that I adopted. Did you find, how many markets are you in? How many kind of cultures yeah. would you cut across? Like quite a few, right? No, or, so or just Australia many? and New Zealand. I mean, Queensland, but, its own culture. Sure. Correct. But I'm from Queensland, so but I can I mean, in, in terms of, <laughs> you, can spend, you can put a pair of sunnies on your head. <laughs> yeah, 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 I can do that. Yeah, so there you go. Done. Translation, done. But across, I guess what I mean is like, did you find there were certain pockets that, were harder to cut yes. through with that than definitely. others, yep, definitely. you know, and then you had to like, you tried once and it just failed and then yep. you had to try like a different angle with that particular group. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with hindsight, there's a couple of things that I did later that I wish I'd done earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. So with my executive team, great team, but very disparate. And I was very conscious that I wanted diversity of thought in that executive team. Yeah. But because it's property management and I've got people that have been in property for 20 years, mm. they didn't want that diversity. Mm. So I had very big personalities that were very clear on this is the way we should be doing it. This is the way we've always done it. Why are we going to change it? Yeah. And so a couple of things that we did that were, I wish we'd done earlier. We did the DISC assessment. We did oh, the yeah. strengths yeah. finder. And, um, that was really useful for me yeah. in understanding where my people were driven and what the key um, drivers were for them and the similarities between the people that didn't get along really mm, well. Yeah, yeah. And then we did a leadership program, which was quite transformational in Arnhem Land. And there were a couple of reasons why we did it. One was I had this group of people who had only ever worked in property and I was really clear that it was an industry that needed to be disrupted. Property yes. management in yeah, particular. So, yeah. And so I wanted them to solve for problems that they'd never had tried to wrap their head around, to really challenge their process of creative problem solutioning. And so we went to Arnhem Land to work on business problems, not social problems. What are the business problems that we can solve here? And it's a really difficult, harsh environment. Mm. And my people are used to beautiful five-star hotels yeah. and yeah. I was taking them to a camping ground and yeah. you know we were out in 38 degree heat and yeah. we were physically exhausted yeah. but that it was survivor it was survivor pretty much <laughs> yeah. there were crocodiles yeah. it was all there yeah. but that adversity brought that team together wow. really yeah. quickly yeah. really really quickly and having a shared experience that was so different from an office experience bonded that team in a way that I've never seen happen since. And they've probably referred back to that on a whole bunch of scenarios. Yeah. Like they've got their own, because people talk a lot about stories and how do you kind of use storytelling to bring a team on a journey, mm. right? And mm. now they've got their own combined story. So yeah. th th there'll be stories from there that they'll then use yeah. either together or with their teams, I yeah. imagine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it was a real gamble and I was terrified the whole way that we'd you know, be eaten by crocodiles or yeah. it would be mutiny. Yeah. But they all got something out of it and we've just done our second just last week. So how, so what was the gap between the first one and we the... We had two years, only because the community couldn't take us last year, not because we didn't want to go. So yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's um, you know, it's a tough community yeah. and it's we want to make sure that it's valuable for the community, not just valuable for my team. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it's really dependent on when they can take us and yeah, okay. um, how many of us they can and, take. And how many was it? It was nine last week, it was ten. Two years yeah, right. Okay, yeah. so it's quite a nice tight group. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And so in that in that role, like what's next? Like how's, what are you currently kind of focusing on and what are you trying to make progress on in the next yeah, kind of great. period? 
there's so much for us to do and I think we've done a lot in the last four years but I'm never happy unless we're looking yeah. at another five years in advance. Property management used to be about changing light bulbs and mm. making sure that there was toilet paper. Mm. Now, I remember. <laughs> tell me, you remember when there was a time when there was no toilet paper? Or no, I remember there was a time when there was that guy, so we have at, at Stockland we had the, um, the shopping centre at Balgala. Yes. And I can't remember his name now, and it's probably good that I don't remember his name, but this is probably not a story that I should tell with a name involved. So let's just, just say subject someone, A, yes. someone who lived nearby, who was a bit of a um, a bit of a hero in the property market, but right. had retired a long time ago. Right. And the centre manager at centre, you said mentioned toilet paper. Yeah. The centre manager at that centre yeah. realised that this particular person who lived nearby was coming to the centre. Not least of which, because they had great toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> what gets so, to the centre? Exactly, right? You know? So they, some people thought it was like in-centre entertainment and marketing no, and big screens. It's toilet paper, right? It's amazing what it is. So See? they actually bought him a crate of it and sent it to his Beautiful. Home. That's a you know, nice story. Touching. Go, yeah, go shopping there every day. So but, well, you're right. It is about toilet paper. Yeah, often. <laughs> but it's become more about experience, mm. which has been really interesting. So we're doing some fantastic programs. We had a... 12-hour dance performance as part of Sydney Fringe in the foyer of our building just down the road, which my really? team coordinated. Yeah. We're doing lots of art installations for the right population, and we're trying to find ways to engage people in the space, yeah. which is a really fascinating part of yeah. property management and the more compelling piece because that's what makes people in those buildings love that building. Mm. So what's exciting for me is that we've identified that there's a whole generation of people coming through and currently in the space that are really suffering from loneliness mm. significantly and that there's actually things that can be done in the place and the workplace that will reduce that impact of loneliness. Wow. And so that's a really different mindset for my yeah. people who are really solid property people mm. to start thinking about how can we reduce loneliness in the workplace? Instead of how can we treat the Legionella in the HVAC system. Also yeah. important. Also important. Very but, important. But yeah. But, but yeah, that's become it's a another layer, factor. right? It is. Yeah. You know, you do property management. We, yeah. can, we should be able to do property yeah. management. We can that's... keep this ship rolling, Absolutely. but actually at the same time, we've got to make sure the people in it are... Really uh, happy. Yeah. Really enjoying the space. So, so I love that. So th that's, I mean, it's nice that you went to that part because it's a good segue into the other bit that I want to talk to you about, which is your, you found fame as a TV presenter. <laughs> So, it's fame. I think it's you and my mother. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm a massive fan. <laughs> so, she so is too. viewership of two. <laughs> so, can you tell us about that experience? Like, yeah. how did that come about? Yeah. What is it, and why? Like, what's the whole basis behind? Yeah. Because that was a bit of a CBRE thing it's as a CBRE well, thing. Yep. and the partnership with with the station and yeah. yeah. So, yeah, can you talk a bit really about It's really interesting. So, our clever communications person at the time was speaking to Graham Thomas, who's the producer of the show. Absolutely beautiful man. And he said, look, there's so much television in Australia around property, but it's only residential. But really, all the innovation, the money is in commercial. I think mm. there's a television show here. What do you think? She said, yeah, I don't know. And I literally was walking past the room at the time. She said, Amanda, yeah, come Amanda, come and talk to Graham. Do you think there's an interesting story? I said, I don't know. What do you think? He said, I just think that there's something there. What would be interesting? And I said, I think placemaking is fascinating. Why do people want to spend time in a place? What makes one office really compelling to be in? Why do you want to go back to a shopping centre? What makes a precinct hum? You know, it's a real bit of special sauce. There's a bit of magic there around placemaking. And he said, okay, I think that's really interesting. Do you think there's some stories? Can you tell me about some buildings you'd profile? I, said, oh, I can tell you 30 buildings I'd profile. 
And so it kind of went from there. Wow. Um, he said to me, do you think you could do it? I said, what? He said, do you think you could be on television? I said, I'll give it a go. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure, sure, I'll give it a go. Haven't you heard me? I can talk. <laughs> I can talk. <laughs> uh, and so we gave it a go. So we've effectively done three pilots. The first one was on nine. The, the second two were on ten. And we're currently talking about regional and global distribution. So wow. another six episodes next year we're hoping for. But I've loved it. And he's really loved it. They've, he, he's really great to work with. It's been good for our brand. It's been good for our clients. I love it because it's just me doing this, having yeah. conversations about yeah. things that I really am passionate about. So yeah. you see beautiful space and why it works and you're talking to people that have designed it or live in it or you know manage it. Mm. It's a really easy conversation. And it's, it's actually done really well. So the viewership's pretty high and the social media hits that we have on it's really high. Mm. And then the other lovely thing is our people really love it. Our people love it. CBRE is on television, yeah. Yeah. which is really nice. Yeah, really exactly. Nice. Absolutely. I get some harsh feedback from my children, <laughs> but other people really love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're your best critic. Yeah, they are. I imagine. Yes. Yeah. It's all right. None of their friends are watching it, so it's okay. <laughs> totally none of their friends are watching it. <laughs> but it must be really interesting to get into those, like... It must be a really interesting cultural experiment. Yes, yeah, it is. Like, particularly as you continue to do more, not only through Asia, but potentially mm. in other locations, mm. Paris. Yeah, I just think Just a Paris, quick plug, Paris, make, make Paris. Just, Paris needs to same. <laughs> But because people in their workplaces reflect a lot about the local culture as well. Yeah. Particularly if it's, a, I imagine, it, a, a better place would yes. be one that better reflects the local culture because then you'd probably get more engagement, right? Mm. So... Mm. It'll be really interesting to then compare how all of those different cultures work. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the, the commonality is the thing that really gets me. And it is um, the passion that people feel around the space. Yeah. And then some things that are really important. Interesting that um, green space is always really important. Mm. People feel really passionate. Even if it's a pot plant on a desk. Yes, it works. People really love that green space. They love fresh air. They love natural daylight. That's a consistent across every space we've been in. Art features really strongly in a lot of the space as well, whether that's performance or physical art, but you know the actual creative side is really important in yeah. really great placemaking. Yeah. And so I love that at every culture we've been to so far, that's still There's some really consistency strong. there. And probably even yeah. in environments where it might be a whole building full of lawyers, accountants and engineers, yes. but actually having art and those kinds of things is something that's appreciated probably because of the difference between their yeah. kind of daily working life. Absolutely. I was in um, Singapore last week and I went to the, what do they call it? The Jewel. Oh, fantastic. Oh my God. Incredible. It was opening the week after we filmed. So oh, um, Kasha, who we interviewed, he said, you've got to come back and do the Jewel. And I really that wanted to. That is amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Like, actually, so have you actually been there yet? Or no. no? Oh, you haven't been, been there oh, yet. It is amazing yeah like like just the scale of the fountain yeah. and and talking about green space like the whole inside of the wall it's like a forest yeah. in there but then also in terms of engagement like it is a shopping center effectively yeah, yeah. but you can do so many things in there yeah. and i didn't have my kids with me but they up right up on the top level they've got cargo netting mm. where you can walk Across, across these cargo the, oh, nets, fun. like across and you, like five or six stories down, oh, climb through cargo that. nets and like. Did you do that? No, I didn't do. It. I I was very very tempted, but I knew if I came back and had a video of me doing that, that my kids wouldn't appreciate it. So I'm I've got to work out. I'm there <laughs> in two weeks. I'm going to do it. No, you absolutely have to do it. Like yeah. 
I think that's a really interesting example of how they've brought all those elements into that situation. Mm. They've really thought long and hard about the dynamic for the traveller. Yes. So you can check in like five hours early. Brilliant. So the whole way that flow, it was amazing. But yeah. isn't that beautiful placemaking? Yeah, They've really considered the people who are using that space yep. and what they might want outside of. Yep. Just a fast shop. food joint. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I also love Changi because it's so many different asset classes. Mm. And I don't think anyone is really doing mixed use very well at the moment. We've uh, talked about yeah, this okay. a lot recently that whoever's earning the most money, if that's residential, then they're the most important uh, yes, asset see. of the mixed asset. Yeah. And then we might throw a few others in or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that blending of the value and what people want from a multitude of space. It's very rarely done so well. I think Changi do a beautiful job of it. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Well, we're out of time. Well, it's a pleasure. I'm going to draw a line through it, but I'd love to keep talking for longer. But we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much for coming. It was really good fun. My pleasure. And we'll definitely follow up with the show when you've got a jewel. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. Cheers.